You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Milt, thank you for filling in last week. Really appreciate delivering God's Word. Micah was the only picture I saw from last week, so do we have that? Caleb, you're working hard back there. Thank you. So this is Micah's picture from last week. Worldly people, worldly men, and then you've got another godly man in front of godly people. And you remember in Milt was taking you through Colossians, really the whole chapter 2, no one, let no one, it just repeated itself, let no one. And there's this difference of looking to the world or looking to Christ. And so I think Milt just exalted Christ once again, and I just appreciate that. That's our message. If it feels like a record that goes on and on every week, it is. He is all we have and all we need. The fullness of, of Him and the fullness of deity dwells in Him. So we want to preach Christ here. And that's done through His Word. So thanks, Micah. And then a couple weeks ago, this I think is from Otto. I don't know if Otto's here today. I don't see them. I, I don't, I'm always good to write down names. This one I didn't get. But Otto was thinking about Moses. I could have mentioned Moses. I'm not sure but Moses was on his mind, so this was from a couple weeks ago when we were in Judges chapter 10, and I invite you to turn there again. That's where we're at. We left off, uh, we left at verse 16, and now we're, we're into verse 17. Last time we looked at Israel again doing evil. The, the enemy comes in, the, the Ammonites, and then the Philistines, which we're going to see later in Samson. We looked at them confessing. This confession is laid out here. God says, you know, go, why don't you go cry to your gods? They say, no, we're, we're coming to you. Please deliver us. We saw that little line at the end that God's, He became impatient over their ministry, the, the compassion of God that even trumped their, uh, their sin. And so we're just going to continue on in Judges 10, and we're going to look at verses 17, and then we're going to come into chapter 11 through verse 11. So I'm going to read it all for us. It's not that long. And then uh, we want to look over it again and hear from God's Word. So let's listen to God's Word again this morning, starting in Judges 10, verse 17. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mitzpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? Drive me out of my father's house? Why, why have you come to me now when you are in distress? 
And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead And the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. Let's pray before we look into the word. Lord, we come to you once again. We pray because of Jesus' name, because of Jesus' blood, that blood shed for us. We can even pray and ask and seek you this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we open up your word, anytime we open up your word, it is your holy word, a word preserved through the centuries, and we pray that we would come under its teaching, your teaching to us. Lord, help our hearts to submit to your glory, to your majestic reign over all things. We don't make you a ruler, you rule. And Lord, when our hearts go astray, lead us back to you. And I pray that you would help us to learn what we can, glean what we can, even from this section in Judges and these pages of your word. And we would just pray this work by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out just by saying, here's what I want you to take away. I don't always start this way, but here's what I want us to take away from, from this study. And I hope you enjoy um, it, it's hard work sometimes to just stop and look at some of these sections and go, what, what's here? And ask, why, why is this in Scripture? But I hope you're, you enjoy as we just think on and look at, look at this passage even. But here's what I want you to take away from this even short section that we've just looked at today. So I want you to take away. To gladly submit, I'm going to use that phrase, maybe it's a popular phrase, 24-7, 365. You know what that means? 24 hours a day seven days a week, 365 days a year, to gladly submit 24-7, 365 to God's means of deliverance and rule in your life. So submitting, what am I saying, all the time, 24-7, 365, to God's, His sovereign deliverance and His rule in your life. And I want to look at how that is played out in the passage before us and look how this comes out of this passage. And so let's come back to chapter 10, verse 17, and just, just kind of start our way and look through this. Here's verse 17. You've got the Ammonites. They were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mitzpah. There's some camping. You guys have gone camping this summer, maybe, some of you. I don't think this was the type of, you know, pull the pop up behind the chariot type camping. This was an encampment here. But anyway, here we find them. Here's the Ammonites, God's tool to discipline his people graciously, to bring his people back to himself. And they are gathering in Gilead. Now, Caleb, I've got a map there. Can you put that map up for me? You got it. Okay, thank you. Now, here's a map, if you're into maps of where we are, and I've got, it's a general idea of where, where we are here. I've kind of highlighted it with a red highlighter. Here's a Jordan running through Israel. I know the picture's a little wide, but 
somewhere, Gilead is here. There's the Jabbok River here. Gilead is somewhere like north and kind of south. It's kind of just a, a general area. It, it's like we would say, I think, at least in this setting, that we're going up to the North Shore. You, you know it's a place, right? But where is the North Shore? Well, it's a, it's a long... Or, or somebody traveled to the East Coast. Well, it's, a, it's a name of a place, but it's kind of a long place. So in some sense, Gilead actually flows... Uh, I think it's some 50 miles is what I found along this range on the east side of the Jordan River. So they're in Gilead. That's where the Ammonites are, somewhere there. I don't, I don't know exactly for sure. But then Israel comes together, and they're at Mitzpah. Now, here's, this comes from an ESV study Bible. Here's where they think Mitzpah is. Maybe it's here. Uh, is there any other? There's actually a couple other Mitzpahs that could be. Maybe, I, maybe five, maybe more than that um, that I saw, or maybe less. There's just... There's a bunch of them. So, like, where is this mitzvah? Where is it at? That's where they're at. Um, it's kind of like us again. Not the East Coast or the North Shore, but I grew up near Metford, Wisconsin, even though there's a Metford, there's a Metford, Minnesota, isn't there? And there's a Metford, Oregon. There's a Metford, Massachusetts. There might be another Metford out there. There's just a bunch of Metfords. And so there's a bunch of mitzvahs. I think, though, this one, again is on this east side. Even if you go back, I think Genesis 31, um, you see Jacob and Laban at a place where they make a covenant, there's a witness, and I think it's the same mitzvah, it's the same place. Either way, maybe it's here, just south of this river, mitzvah. So they are encamped against one another. That's what verse 17 kind of sets up, these, these two against one another. And then verse 18, this when Scripture helps us understand, it's so helpful because I think it introduces what's going to be answered in the verses that are going to follow. Look at verse 18. And the people, so the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be had over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So one neighbor, they're asking another neighbor in the camp, Who's going to go? Who's going to fight? Who will be head? Because the people are facing an enemy. They're about to engage in battle and they have no leader. This is a bad spot to be in. I mean, you've got the enemy there in camping and there's just there's no one to really lead. And they're asking who will lead, which means we, we need leaders. We need leaders to guide us and to take people somewhere. And the question is, who is this man? I want to think that at this, at this point, it's, it's not said here. You, know, you, you kind of want to say, well, they should be asking the Lord here. Who's the, you know, Lord, who would you send? And that may be. I want to I give them the benefit of the doubt that they've confessed. They're seeking the Lord, so they're trusting Him and asking which judge maybe will He send along again? Which deliverer will come? What they may not have realized at the time and what we need to realize is that God's means of deliverance, like we talked about, and His rule may look different than what they think. And it may demand more than what they think. His rule, how He works, is different than what, right? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts not our thoughts. So this question kind of lingers here. And then the narrative, like a, like a movie that says back in 1983, you know, there's a flashback here as we get to chapter 11. So now we come back a previous time. I don't know how long ago, 
I don't know the years, whatever it was, but there's a, there's a flashback here, and it gives us a glimpse right off the lips of that, that, that question, who's going to be the head, who will lead, now comes verses 1 through 3. Let's read them all here. Now Jephthah the Gileadite, Gileadite, how's that, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. This flashback really explains who is Jephthah. What, what did his brothers do, and then, and then where did he go? So the first, who's, who's Jephthah? Verse 1 tells us, in a positive way, look at what it positively says, he was a mighty warrior. Sounds like a guy they want. His father was Gilead. I don't think his father was the founder of the Gileadites, but I think maybe a prominent leader, at least taking the name of the forefathers of Gilead here. And so I think maybe the family even had prominence in the community. Even Jephthah was maybe a, a firstborn. It seems that way. So there's kind of this going for Jephthah, but then there's, there's a but, right? He was the son, at the same time, he was the son of a prostitute. And the word here for prostitute can even imply, I looked at some places, that he was, he was not even a full-blooded Israelite kind of a half-blood, maybe even of Canaanite background. So his father has this prostitute, Jephthah's born, he's maybe, maybe, maybe half-blooded of Israel. So, verse 2, his brothers reject him. They use his lineage against Jephthah, and, and I think their desire for his inheritance as well, right? In verse 2, you shall not have an inheritance. Maybe they're look, you know, some look at that as they're looking for this money, right? Let's, if we can get him, oh, how can we get rid of him? He's a son of a prostitute. Let's get him out that way. And so they, they take this claim against him. And they say, be gone. And they drive him out. And so he flees to this tobe somewhere off, maybe northeast of where we were on that map. And then worthless fellows surround him. And it's here that I want us all, including myself, I want you to pause and just consider your view of Jephthah at this point in the, in the story, in the narrative. How would you view one who was born of a prostitute, he was rejected by his own people, and then he hangs around worthless men? What's your view of a guy like that? And as I come to the Scripture, you think, what? We're kind of ready. We see Israel, they're just they constantly in sin, and, and I, I'm... I'm persuaded as I begin just to look at Jeff, man, this guy, yeah, he's this and this. He's got worthless guys around him. What kind of guy is this? And so I think at first glance, he doesn't look much like someone to deliver. Yeah, he's a mighty warrior, but he hangs around worthless people. If we didn't think a little bit deeper, you might conclude like I did. Again, he's, this is a poor candidate for a deliverer, for a judge. This guy's not what they need. There's what Dale Davis comments here. I'll just read, uh, kind of mash together a couple parts, but here's what he says. What is most striking, however, 
is that Yahweh will use this man, son of a harlot, rejected by his brothers, a leader of thugs, to relieve Israel. Jephthah was, for whatever reason, a loser. Yet the Spirit of Yahweh came upon this loser. We're going to see that later. And Yahweh gave the Ammonites into his power. Eventually we'll see that. And then he goes on to say, maybe someday we will see it enough times in Scripture that we will cease to be surprised at the unlikely instruments God uses to deliver us. I love that last. We, you know, if maybe if we'll see it enough times, we'll realize God uses these unlikely instruments to deliver us. God's deliverance, that's trusting in His sovereign deliverance, comes in ways, I think, we just don't look for and expect. And we've seen that, if we think back to Judges, we've seen it through the book. Think of Othniel. He was, he was old, and he led Israel. Ehud, the left-handed guy, remember him? God used him. Remember Barak and how timid he was? God used him. And we just looked at Gideon, the weak one. God uses people, people in ways we don't expect or look for. Now, there's one other aspect to this section, but I'm going to save it and we're going to come back to it at the end. So let's just keep going forward on the storyline because now it comes out of that flashback to the present day. So find verse 4, and now we come up to the present day and the situation of going on. Verses 4 and 5. Now, after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. Ammonites, they are done camping. It looks like the camping trip is over and war is beginning. And Israel is still no better off. There's still no leader. Now everything just looks like it's just beginning to get a little more urgent. The war has started, still no leader, and we find them traveling to Tob to find... Jephthah. And that's where they go. They couldn't wait any longer. They needed deliverance. Verse 6, they come and they summon Jephthah. Look at verse 6 now. Here's what they say before Jephthah. They find him. Verse 6, and they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. You see that phrase? Come and be our... The word there is leader. Now, I don't often pronounce Hebrew words. I don't know that it helps a lot other than like, wow, we know Hebrew. How can we pronounce Hebrew? But it's interesting to look at some words here. So the word here used by these elders, they're saying come and be our leader is the, the Hebrew word kazin. So come and be our kazin, be our, be our leader. And here's what co- one commentary says of this word. This kazin signifies a leader in war So try to grab hold of that, a leader in war. And it's distinguished in verse 11 from another word we're going to look at called rosh, another Hebrew word, which means a chief in peace and war. So try to hang tight. You've got them asking, come and be our kazin, our leader in war. But there's a different word saying be our leader, peace or war, called called rosh. It seems at least at this point in the request, they want Jephthah, not for, not for full-time leadership, just get us through the battle, get us through the war, perhaps. I know it's a bit speculation, but I think that's perhaps what's going on here. 
Well, negotiations take place. Look at verse 7 now. And Jephthah counters their request. He says this. He said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? Drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? So Jephthah, rather than just instantaneously, awesome, great, I'll come back with you, he actually challenges how they treated him in the past. I don't think these are the same ones. The elders of Gilead, not the same brothers, but it it seems like they were just part of it. If the brothers drove out Jephthah, the elders of Gilead went right along with it. They They might as well have been part of it. And he challenges them. Didn't you hate me? Didn't you drive me out? And now... Now you're in distress. Now you want me to help? It seems like what? You only want me when you're in distress. But do you want me to rule? There's a question for us here too. Tim Keller, I don't quote often, but he does say this in a commentary here on this. He says he, that is Jephthah, he makes them ask again with more humility and with an acceptance that, that rescue comes with rule. Like that idea. Their rescue is going to come with a rule. R-U-L-E, rule. The question is, will Israel, will they serve Jephthah with or without their distress? Now, at this point, we're just going to pause a little bit. I want to look at something. I didn't come up with this. But there's some correlation here, and I've got a chart to put up. Caleb, if you can find that chart there and put it up on the screen. We don't do charts often, but here's a chart. And uh, this is quite fascinating. You can go back. You can look at this on your own. But what essentially some of these commentators are doing is they're, they're tying in chapter 10, verses 6 through 16, with chapter 11, 1 through 11. So how, how Israel spoke to the Lord, that whole, remember that, that distress, and then, you've, well, you've got rejection, and then distress, they repent, God says, oh, you want me to save you? I'm not going to save, go to your gods, and then they appeal to him again, and then he acquiesces, God does, you know, he's impatient, he grew impatient over their misery. What they're saying is we got the same thing played out as Israel confronts Jephthah, this, kind of this same pattern going on. This, the book in front of you, or in front of your iPad, whatever it is, it's amazing. It's not, again, we just see this over and over, even in Judges, where just a section that you might, if you read quickly, you just kind of go, I don't know, take me some, I'm going to go somewhere else. There is, there is thought and there is div- divine guidance behind all of this. Dale Davis, again, comments here on this, kind of this connection. He says, here, both Yahweh's reply, and he's referring to God who said to them in chapter 10, he said, why are you crying to me? Go cry to your, cry to your gods. Let your gods save you. He says, Yahweh's reply and Jephthah's show that they know someone is trying to use them. The way the Gileadites treat Jephthah is an acted parable of the way Israel approaches Yahweh. So in essence, Israel is treating Yahweh in the same way of Jephthah. And the test is whether do you want to be ruled for the moment or 24, 7, 365. You're going to be ruled forever by me, but but all day long by the Lord. Okay, so let's come back. Charts. Look into it if you want to. Kind of interesting. Verse 8. Jephthah makes this, you know, why have you come? Now, verse 8, 
Listen for the change. Look at the change. Maybe I, I didn't look at all the versions, at least the ESV. Look at the change here. Uh, verse 8. They, they're going to ratchet up the offer now. The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our, you have head there, be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Do you see the new word? Instead of asking for a leader, a kazin, now they seek a rosh, a head, someone peacetime or war. They've, they've kind of upped it now. Okay, we'll ask both. Which seems to satisfy Jephthah, and we find his response in verse 9. So he says to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your your rosh, your head. I will rule, and I'm going to rule longer than just for the battle. And so he, he responds, you guys going to bring me home? He, has, he talks about bringing me home. He's going to rule over them. But, but he adds this, and I think it's interesting, if we're trying to think about Jephthah, is this a, a good guy? Bad? Well, you know, who is this? It's interesting that he says, and you know, if... If you bring me home, and if the Lord gives them to me, in one way we see Jephthah, yes, he's a sinner. He's going to make a vow later on, and we're going to try to wrestle through Jephthah's vow. You can read ahead on that and try to sort that one out. But it seems that he has some sense of God's direction in his life, and enough to see the victory was something the Lord gave and not just mere man. Essentially, you know, if the Lord wills, if he wills them to win and the Lord gives them, then I will be your head. It's acknowledging God, if he does this, I will be your head, which is good to hear from your leader. He's looking to the Lord. I think we'll see it even more. So look at verse 10. Now the people respond. So Jephthah responds. Now the people come back. Verse 10, the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. The actual wording is, is something akin like to the Lord hearing this commitment of the elders. The Lord has heard us. If we don't do as you have said, the Lord's heard us. It's, you know, curse be on us if we don't do what we've said. It, it's almost a, a covenant here. The one, one place uh, says here, quote, the statement by the leaders of Gilead takes the form of a legally binding oath which obligates them to the terms of the agreement. So it's set up. Jephthah, we want you to be a leader. Why do you want me? You know, you, you force me out. Well, we want you to be our head. Okay, you bring me home, the Lord wills, I'll be your head. Okay, let the Lord be witness. It's going to be this way. And so you come to verse 11, and it answers the question that we saw way back in verse 18 of chapter 10. So verse 11 now. Let me just read the first part of verse 11 says so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them that interesting the mighty warrior returns to his people and they set him up both both as the Rosh peacetime and war and over the battle the Kazin you be our head and our leader both of these and then the last phrase, Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzpah. We find once again, it's kind of like we did at the last part of 
chapter 10, verse 16, a couple weeks ago, this, this kind of this last note, at least in this section, Jephthah's words are before the Lord. Here's, here's a son of a prostitute, the rejected brother, the one whom worthless fellows gather around. And where is he? He's speaking lo- words before the Lord. So it would seem, and I'm going to just imply by this here, that both the people in Jephthah, they are covenantly, covenantally restored, and there's at least some sort of restoration to the Lord through them getting Jephthah to lead them. God has raised up an unlikely deliverer, and he's raised up a head from among them. As we look back on this, couple thoughts you might say i would say we have in jephthah jephthah a shadow of one to come let me let me do some trivia can you think there's some trivia for your brain you don't have to answer out loud can you think of another deliverer that might have a prostitute in his lineage i'll give you a hint her name is rahab any any deliverer that came later on that had a prostitute in lineage or was maybe looked at as being born illegitimately. Maybe Christmas time, little hint there. Okay, next question. Can you think of someone whose own hometown, brothers, drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they, they could throw him down the cliff? Think of anybody like that? Or someone who gathered around himself what looked like worthless fellows, they called them tax collectors and sinners. And he ate with them. You know who I'm thinking of? I was just playing that with Madeline the other day. Who am I? Right? Who am I? Now, Jephthah is certainly, he's not a saint. But I would just propose to you what we see in Jephthah is a picture of the one deliverer to come, the righteous one. He came from the unlikely manger, from the unlikely town of Nazareth. He dined with sinners and he would ultimately be rejected by his own people. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. See, to the world this doesn't look right. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We, you and I, we are in need of a deliverer, like a Jephthah, but we need a Savior. We need a shepherd. We need a leader, and we need a head. And the one to whom all Scripture points to, that's the one we need. Paul says this way in Romans 10. He says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A glorious truth. We have a deliverer. Is Jephthah? No, Jephthah will die. He will not last forever. We have an incorruptible leader 
head, ruler, king, the king, to look to by faith to save us forever. And it's this Savior that's not just to be Lord over our momentary trial, just when we sin, okay, you're Lord, and then we forget about Him. He's not just to be our cousin, but our Rosh, our head, in peace and trial. I want to ask you one more question. What does the pattern of your life say about your Lord? Does it look Kazinish? Now you know what I'm saying, right? Kazinish, for the moment, Rosh, is He over all? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. My brother wrote a song years and years, and it's a long time ago. He wrote a song, and the title of the song was called Fire Insurance. I had to look it up. Found my CDs even this morning. Found the, found the song. And here's, here's how the chorus goes that he wrote this song. It says, Jesus to me is more than the fire insurance. Jesus to me is the fire that set me free. So much more than the average Sunday morning, Jesus is my life and nothing could be more important to me. Fire insurance is that policy you get when you think your home might burn down. That's the policy you get just for that day when it might start on fire. And perhaps that's how we treat the Lord at times, just for the momentary trial. A policy to pull out when times are tough. If they get tough, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to start praying. And that's good. You should. If times are tough and you're seeking Jesus, keep seeking Him. It's just the call here is to take it further from that time of trial to say, Lord, You are Lord over all. He's come in the flesh, God has, to deliver sinners, to call us to Himself. And His call on your life, if you say today, I am a Christian, I am a Christ follower, if that's what you say you are, I'm a Christian, I'm going to follow Christ, then the call is this 24-7-365 call. And not a call of drudgery, it's a call of glad submission to the Lord of the universe who reigns. We don't make Him the Lord. He is the Lord. We submit to His Lordship in our life. His deliverance, and He's got so many different ways of delivering us that we wouldn't expect, like the son of a prostitute and so forth, but we trust for that deliverance and trust Him to rule. And then to respond, say, Jesus, You are my deliverer. You're my Lord. Lord, you're, to me, you, would You help me? You're more to me than fire insurance to pull out on a rainy day. Be the Lord of my life. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You once again for Your Word to us from Your Scriptures and the way that You've intricately written Every passage in here, from the genealogies to the, the numbers we see, nothing is by accident. It's all here. And it's all here for our teaching, correcting, to rebuke us, train us, and to show us the One who fulfills all Your Word, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, may that name of Lord be what our lives look like. May the movie reels of our life look like you are Lord in our life. And if we're honest with our life, I've got to imagine that 
your people look like. My last week where you have not been the Lord at times. And we have sought to find joy in something else. Lord, forgive us and lead us back to you. May we run back to you, to the cross, to your righteousness, to the grace of the cross. And then, Lord, we thank you that we can trust you to complete a work you've started in us. And yet we pray, Lord, in our, in our movement, in our, in our day today, this Sunday, this August 1st, maybe not even worrying about Monday, although we need your help tomorrow too. Lord, lead us today that you would be the Lord in our life, whatever that might look like in each of our specific areas even. We pray for your help and your guidance, and we thank you for your grace in this. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.